بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ادفع بالتي هي أحسن السيئة ادفع بالتي هي أحسن فإذا الذي بينك وبينه عداوة كأنه ولي حميم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما صفه نصنع من على المصرين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم so moving on to the next uh, principle the next uh, blameworthy trait as Imam Ghazali mentions is uh, the uh, is uh, envy hasad um, so he says um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's messenger وسلم, said an en- envy consumes good deeds just like fire consumes wood Envy consumes good deeds just like fire consumes wood. Know that envy, which is to like for the blessing of another to be removed or for a calamity to befall him, is unlawful. So envy, if you desire that, if you see that someone has a particular blessing, Allah Ta'ala has given them something, and then you desire that that blessing be removed from, from them, or because they receive that blessing that some difficulty come upon them, uh, then it is unlawful, it's not permissible. Competition, on the other hand, which is to be happy for another and dislike for his blessing to be removed, yet desire the same thing for yourself, is not unlawful. So someone has a blessing, and you yourself, uh, you're fine with that person having the blessing, but you, you want that as well for yourself. And that's permissible. It's not unlawful, he says. Um, so just to give, uh, we'll use examples. So we'll rotate, we'll alternate between um, something material and something maybe living. So, for instance, we'll use a computer. We'll use children. So, let's say that you know you don't have you're you're married. You don't have children. Someone else is married. They don't have children either. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala blesses them with a child. Right? You find out that they're expecting. Uh, the, the couple are expecting. Now, you don't have that blessing. If you desire that that blessing be removed from them, or some something happens during the pregnancy, or that somehow that child be taken away, um, then that's unlawful, right? But if on the other hand you say that, oh, Allah Ta'ala has given that person a child, I hope to have one myself as well. May Allah Ta'ala increase us in this blessing, then that's permissible. Um, it is also permissible to like for a blessing to be removed from someone who uses it for oppression and disobedience. Because you do not want the removal of the blessing, rather you want the removal of the oppression. So the example of this would be that, uh, let's say that someone has children, and they are very oppressive to their children. They physically abuse them, they verbally abuse them, they psychologically abuse them. Um, And so at this point, you may wish that the children no longer remain in their custody because this is harmful for the child. They're using it for oppression. This blessing that Allah has given them, they're using it for oppression. In that case, it would be permissible because you don't want the removal of the blessing itself you want the removal of that person's oppression. Okay, you can, for instance, use the example of a, um, of a laptop. Somebody gets a brand new laptop. You're a student, you wanted a computer, you don't get one because you can't afford one. And somebody else gets a really nice state-of-the-art laptop, right? But you know that that person's using that laptop and they spend hours on that laptop looking at inappropriate things, right? They're using it for oppression. Now, in this case, they're not oppressing a different person. They're oppressing themselves. So if you desire in that case that Allah Ta'ala removes this blessing from them, you, then uh, then that's that's fine because you you uh, want the removal of the oppression, and then he says the sign of this is that if he were to leave 
disobedience, you would not like the removal of the blessing. So if that person abandoned uh, oppressing their children, then you wouldn't want their children to be removed from them and placed in foster care. Rather, you'd say, well, they've abandoned that. I want that child to stay with them. If the person left the sin of looking at things inappropriately on, on, their, on their computer, uh, then you no longer would want that computer to be removed, that laptop to be removed from them, You just um, because that oppression has, they, they're no longer oppressing themselves. So that's a sign um, that, um, so that, that's the sign of this, he's saying. Envy is caused by pride, enmity, or the evil ego, which is stingy concerning Allah's blessings on his slaves, on his slaves which are not in his interest. So the basis of envy is pride, enmity, and the evil ego, or the nafs, the evil of the ego, which is the evil of the nafs. Okay, so the next section, how to treat envy and remove it from the heart. Know that envy is one of the heart's greatest sicknesses. Imam Ghazali is identifying envy, which is what we've already defined before, is one of the greatest sicknesses, and only the combination of knowledge and practice can treat a sickness of the heart. This is going to be a reoccurring theme. You, we noted that yesterday with anger as well, that you need to have knowledge based in based that, that is derived from hadith and then interpreted by the scholars, and then you have to practice uh, based on that knowledge. This is you know amal and uh, ilm and amal. As for the knowledge-based treatment, it is that a person knows that his envy harms him and does not harm the one he envies, rather it benefits him. So my envying of someone else's blessing is not harming that person, it's actually harming myself. Uh, it harms the envier by nullifying his good deeds and exposing him to Allah's wrath. Ultimately, if we're practicing anything that's, anything that's evil, which is what we're classifying envy as based off of the definitions we stated earlier, then ultimately we're in, we are the ones that are going to incur the wrath of Allah. That person's receiving his blessing and he'll continue to receive his blessing. It, um, for the envier is angered by Allah's decree and is stingy about the blessings from his treasure troves being spread out over his slaves. This is dangerous. I'll, I'll repeat it. For the envier is angered by Allah's decree. So when a person, when, when Allah Ta'ala decides to shower his blessings on a person or on a community, that's Allah Ta'ala's prerogative. He's, he can do it is His will. If He wants to do it, He can do it. He can give it to whomever He wants. He can give it to someone that believes in Him. He can give it to someone that doesn't believe in Him. He can give it to somebody who's already wealthy. He can give him more wealth. He can give it to somebody who's impoverished. It's completely what Allah Ta'ala wants. It's His prerogative to distribute His blessings however He wills. So when you begin to envy, why does that person have what they have? Why do they have children? Why do they have a computer? Why do they have that car? Why do they have such a big home? When you're now... Uh, questioning that, especially at the expense of what they have, well, what you're doing is you're challenging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's decree. You're saying, well, why, why did Allah give that person that? So, rather than you're, you're, you're now, that frustration over what that person received is actually then translating into well, why is Allah doing this? Why is Allah doing this is a question that none of us should ever ask. We should, we should seek protection from this sort of a question. So he said, this is harmful to his religion. It harms his worldly affairs. And then he, so we talked about how you're destroying your akhirah with envy. It harms his world, worldly affairs and that he never ceases to be, he never ceases to be in constant distress and grief. When a person spends time wondering why, why you know, person A has this blessing and person B has this blessing and person C has this blessing and how come I don't have any blessings? You are, you're adding to your own distress and your own grief. You are so concerned about what other people have Ultimately, the person who ends up suffering is you because you are so focused on that. And this is what his adversary desires for him. For indeed, the most important objective and most perfect blessing for his enemy is the sorrow of the envier. Um, 
Um, as for him benefiting his adversary and not harming him, this is because the blessing will not go away due to his envying it. So just because you want you, you envy someone, that doesn't mean that, that blessing will be removed. That's up to Allah Ta'ala to decide. In addition, the envier multiplies the good deeds of the envied, since the former's good deeds are transferred to the latter. So, and kind of the same with loquacious as we talked about backbiting, and how uh, the bankrupt person on the Day of Judgment, the people that we backbite against, our deeds then get transferred to the account of the person who is being backbit against. So ultimately, who's benefiting from backbiting? The person who's the recipient of it, because on the Day of Judgment, they're going to take your deeds from you. So this principle will apply... Uh, it applies, you know, more generally as well as we're seeing here. Um, this is especially the case. This is especially so if the envier is always speaking ill of the envied, who in this case is wronged by the envier. The envier has sought the removal of a worldly blessing from the envied, yet in fact he has added it to a blessing in the afterlife. So by my by envying someone else, we're you know wanting that that person's blessing be removed from them you're actually adding to their account. You're actually not harming them. You're adding to their account in the hereafter. They're actually going to be rewarded because of the wrong that you're doing. And oftentimes, the people that we are envying, these are our adversaries. We actually want harm to, to befall them. What ends up happening? They end up becoming uh, uh, elevated because of your envy. So you're actually not achieving even your, your, your own goal is not being achieved by this. So what's the point of putting all your time and energy into this. Uh, it doesn't even make sense from a logical standpoint. And then he says, um, okay, so, uh, you, so you added, obtained for yourself a worldly punishment along with punishment in the afterlife. So your punishment in this world you're receiving because all the distress and grief and energy and time that you're completely wasting, and in the afterlife you're losing your deeds and it's going into their account. He is like the one who throws a stone at his adversary, but it fails to hit him. The stone bounces back, hits his eye, causes him to lose sight, and increases the malicious joy of his enemy, the enemy being Shaitan, Iblis. Shaitan is having a field day because he's watching. He's deceiving you into thinking that your envy is harming that other person, or your desires are harming that other person, but it's not. In fact, it's harming yourself. And this is how Shaitan will work in general. And if we don't believe this now, we will certainly believe in the, in the hereafter. Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, وَقَالَ الشَّيْطَانِ لَمَّا قُضِيَ الْأَمْرِ The shaitan in the hereafter, he's going to address us. Don't think that you know he's just going to disappear, uh, deceive us in this world, and then the day of judgment comes, or the grave comes, and he just runs away, and then we never, we never see him again. It says in the Qur'an, وَقَالَ الشَّيْطَانِ لَمَّا قُضِيَ الْأَمْرِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَعَدَكُمْ وَعَدَ الْحَقِّ He will tell all of us that very... Uh, 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 that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had made a promise to you and this promise is real, it's true the promise of Allah is true, it's real and I made a promise to you as well right? this promise that you know uh, show animosity toward other people envy other people, this is a promise I made to you, do this, you know, as a result you know, you will become better than them you're superior to them, yeah why do they get all these blessings, this is, you should have this in your account uh, I deceived you. I turned away from you. My promise to you was a complete lie, but Allah Ta'ala's promise is not a lie. So, Shaitan basically, uh, he's, he's, enjoying, he's enjoying this. So he says, you throw a rock uh, actually, at that person, actually um, uh, bounces back, hits your own eye, uh, and you lose your own sight, and Shaitan sits there and he smiles because he, he won. So this is kind of the uh, reality of, of the way life is in general. Okay. 
As for practice, it is that a person knows the ruling of envy and what it entails in regards to both statement and action. So again, you have to know the rulings of envy in order to, to try to practice uh, uh, protection from envy. He thus opposes it and practices its opposite by praising the envied, showing joy because of his blessing and being humble with him. So the first thing that a person must do, he's mentioning, if, a per, if, you, if you have this problem, is that you oppose it. And you, uh, number one is you oppose it. So you recognize that this is from the tricks of shaitan, and you do your best to oppose that desire that's within your heart. And the number two is you actually praise the person who's envied. The person who you are envying, that you wish the removal of the blessing from, that you actually spend time praising him, either in his presence or you make du'a for him. You make du'a for him or you make du'a for her. You know, oftentimes we have to suppress this nafs that is telling us uh, and the way we suppress it is by forcing ourselves to do the complete opposite. So maybe you wouldn't otherwise think of making du'a if you have a neutral relationship between two people, right? You may be not, you won't think of making du'a for that person. Okay, fine. Now you have a relationship of, of hatred towards someone else or envy towards someone else. Well, the last thing you would think of would be to actually make du'a for them. You usually will make du'a for the people that have benefited you, the people that you are attached to, the people that you love. Those are the people you make du'a for. Not the people that you are necessarily neutral for, and most certainly not the person that you have some animosity toward. So if we rather, whenever the thought of envy comes into our mind, we turn that and we turn that around and begin to just make du'a for that person, then that's actually a way by which you resolve envy because you're, you're suppressing that desire. And you should, you should try to show joy for his blessing and, and be humble with him. Through this, the envied will become a friend to him. Envy will depart and he will be freed from his sin and pain. Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, إِذْفَعْ بِالَّتِي هِيَ أَحْسَنُ فَإِذَا الَّذِي بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنَهُ عَدَاوَهُ كَأَنَّهُ وَلِيٌّ حَمِيمٌ Repel a bad deed, which that which is which is better or best. فَإِذَا الَّذِي بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنَهُ عَدَاوَهُ And he for whom there is enmity between you and him will be as if you guys became close friends. Allah Ta'ala is saying, repel any, any evil. Whether that person is actually giving evil to you or evil in general, repel that with something that's good. Uh, and uh, as a result, you'll become the close friend of your adversary. This, uh, this is a general principle as well. Okay, so perhaps your ego does not obey you concerning equality between your adversary and your friend. Rather, you dislike what is bad for your friend, but not for your adversary. You like blessings for your friend, but not for your adversary. So this is basically now hinting toward your natural inclination. Okay, yeah, it's fine and dandy. You can make the offer that person. You... Um, Will you try to suppress this this um, this nafsi this ego that you have? But what if it's the case that look, I have people that I like, that I have my friends, my close friends, you know, my loved ones, my family members. I want what's best for them, and the people that are my adversaries, I want these blessings to be removed from them. So what if that's the case? He said, well, if you're unable to control that, then you must free yourself from the sin with two things. So this then applies that you you despite have you have those feelings. You can't. You feel like you can't help it. Okay. Well, uh, what what should I do? So he's saying, okay, well, you have to do two things in particular to make sure you're avoiding sin. The first thing is that you do not manifest envy with your tongue, limbs, or voluntary actions. So that inward feeling that you have, that the nafsi uh, desire that you have, that a, a calamity befall someone, some difficulty come onto a person, some blessing be removed, 
that should never be manifested outwardly. You should that should be always remaining inwardly. So you should never tell other people about your envy about someone else. Man, I wish that person didn't have children. I wish that person didn't get that computer. I wish they didn't have such a large home. You should never manifest it with your with your tongue. You should never manifest it with your limbs. You should never never physically try to remove that blessing from that person because these things are clearly sinful. Clearly sinful. There's no question about it. Rather, you oppose what what envy entails. The second is that you dislike your ego's love for the removal of Allah's blessing on any of his slaves. Okay, so you recognize that you have in your heart this desire that the blessing be removed from someone else, be it uh, again, a laptop, a car, a child be removed from that person. You recognize that this is a problem that you have. Then it is incumbent upon you to dislike that you have that problem. You, you have the problem, but you shouldn't like that you have this problem. It's kind of like the issue of backbiting, right? Or anger, for instance. Okay, I'm having a very difficult time uh, controlling my anger. Number one, you should never let that manifest outwardly so that that transfers into your limbs and then you physically abuse somebody. It should never transfer to that point. And number two, you should dislike that you struggle with this issue. Even if you have the issue, you should at least have a dislike for it, in, uh, uh, dislike for it itself. Okay, if this dislike is religiously motivated, but yet still coupled with the love of the removal of a blessing, meaning that is you dislike this because you know that Allah dislikes it, you know that the Prophet dislikes it, you know that you shouldn't be doing it, so that's the reason you dislike it. And this is coupled with the love for the removal of the blessing, meaning you still have envy. Does this make, is this making sense? You, you, you still have envy, you still have the feelings of envy, the love of the blessing be removed, the calamity befall that person. You still have that. But the, you religiously, you're motivated to dislike that feeling as dictated by your, so the, by your natural disposition. Then there is no sin upon you, nor must you change your natural disposition. For you surely will be unable to do so most of the time. You know, this is the nature of the nafs. Uh, it has a natural disposition. There are, but it, is, it behooves us to never act upon that. So, number one, we, have, we should never let that translate into something uh, of uh, something physical something verbal and we should dislike that we have that weakness recognize that we have it dislike that we have it and if that's the case then inshallah there won't be any sin upon you you don't have to change what is naturally within you remember i mentioned yesterday some people are naturally inclined to more uh, some people are naturally uh, so everybody will have some sort of one of these 10 traits that we're talking about all of us have it to some degree now, some of us have poor control over some of them. So some of us, our struggle or our weakness or our area for improvement is our excessive speech. For some of us, it's backbiting. For some of us, it's anger. For some of us, it's pride. We're all on different levels, but everybody has something. You have to identify the areas that you, uh, that you are the weakest in and try to work upon them. But ultimately, this is your natural disposition. You have to make sure that doesn't translate into sin. Does that make sense? Um, okay. The sign of your dislike for the removal of Allah's blessing is that whenever you might be able to remove His blessing, you do not proceed to do so. Okay? So, how do you know that, well, I have envy for this person. This is my natural disposition. I dislike that they have it. I want calamity to befall them. But then I also dislike that I have this problem. Well, how do I know where I lie? I mean, maybe my dislike is actually just artificial and there's no reality to it. And actually, my envy is far more powerful. Well, how do I know? So, Imam Ghazali says that when you have the opportunity to remove that blessing you don't proceed to do so the laptop is sitting in the library you have the opportunity to steal it or throw it in the trash or tell someone hey that laptop's for free go pick it up 
you have the opportunity to for, to remove that blessing, you never actually you never actually act upon. That's a sign that you disliking your envy is overpowering your envy itself. Okay. Uh, also, if you were able to assist him in keeping his blessing or increasing it, you would do so despite your like of that, dis despite your dislike of that. So now the person says, "Hey, listen, can you watch my um, um, can you watch my laptop?" Right? And you're like, man, this is a great opportunity. What if I just let it go? What if I just don't watch it? Maybe somebody will come and take it, whatever. You don't actually promote that, but if that were to happen. But then you say that, you know what? I need to suppress this desire. I'm going to actually protect this. I don't want this to leave. So I'm actually going to keep this safeguarded with me. And then that person returns and gets it back. So in that case, you're basically demonstrating that, you know, you really want this laptop to go. You really want, you know, this this blessing he's been given to go. This car, you know, I'm going on vacation. Can you watch my car? You really want it to go. Right, but you take it upon yourself to protect this. You don't allow this thing to disappear from his, from the, from his blessings. Make sense? You understand the two different. So one is that you never actually, that uh, if you you never actually facilitate the removal of the blessing, and number two, um, You would assist him in keeping that blessing in the event that he asks you or she asks you for assistance with regards to it. Okay, all right. Um, there is no sin uponing upon you concerning what your natural disposition dictates, for indeed natural disposition becomes risky only in regards to one infatuated with Allah. What he's saying is that, look, this isn't sinful if you are in this state, because this is your natural disposition. Allah Taala has given us our natural disposition. Don't let this translate into something sinful, what we had just said. And then he says, so there's no sin upon you for that. But natural disposition is only risky if you are someone who is infatuated with Allah. If you are in love with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then even this state isn't a good state to be in. But then he goes on to say, he whose vision has been cut off from material things and the creation. A person who has no attachment to this world, like meaning they, their heart is not attached to this world, for those people, yeah, even this is a even, even this is a concern, and you have to try to tackle and address it. Uh, he this per, so then, then Imam Ghazali for the rest of this is just a few more lines. He goes on to describe who these people are. He knows, meaning the person who is infatuated with Allah knows that this blessing does not benefit the one who has received it. If ultimately that person will be in hell anyway, if Allah Taala gives a blessing to someone, and that person's ultimate destiny is going to be the fire of hell. Well then, why would you? Why would it bother you that this person have that blessing or not have that blessing? Ultimately, what matters is what what will happen to that person in the hereafter. What will happen to me in the hereafter is what matters. If Allah Taala gives us a blessing, or He removes a blessing, or He chooses not to give us a blessing, I mean, ultimately, that's just a matter of this world. The matter is actually the true matter is in the hereafter. You know, and oftentimes we get you know why is it that you know people who believe in Allah they maybe are struggling, and people who dis who don't believe in Allah they're getting they get you know power and they get uh, they get. No, they get wealth and they're given all of these, you know, quote unquote blessings. Well, a person who's infatuated with Allah realizes that, look, what's going to happen in the hereafter? That's what actually matters. What's going to be their state in the hereafter? That's what I'm concerned about. Then he says, if he ultimately will be in paradise, then what is this blessing relative to paradise? Right. If a person gets so this then applies on the opposite extreme that, well, if someone's given, you know, a, a nice car, a blessing of a nice car. Um, and that person is righteous and they're pious and they're given this blessing and ultimately inshallah their destination will be paradise well then this car has not there's this car would never end up in jannah it doesn't matter if it's a $200,000 maserati it's not it's not worthy of being in jannah 
You know, it doesn't matter if it's a 10,000 square foot home. It's not worthy of being in Jannah. That person's blessings, he will actually receive or she will actually receive it in Jannah, in paradise. The blessings of this world don't even compare. But a person who's attached to this world won't be able to see through that. They're, they're looking at uh, exactly, they're looking at this world as if this world was permanent. So yes, in comparison to the other benefits of this world, a nice car, yeah, I mean, it's nice. A big home, yeah, I mean, it's nice. You know, especially when you compare it to, to you compare an average size home to a large home, yes. But when you then begin to compare the blessings of this world to what the blessings are in Jannah, then it no longer concerns you. So what? Get a 15,000 square foot home. You know, become, uh, you know, uh, uh, become, the, uh, purchase a continent, you know, if you have the, the wealth to do so. No problem. Because ultimately in Jannah, the last person to enter Jannah is going to receive 10 times what this world contains anyway. So you're, even if you were to own an entire continent, it wouldn't even compare to the reward that you will receive in paradise because of your righteousness. So that's what Imam Ghazali is saying. Rather, he, meaning the person who is infatuated with Allah, sees all creatures as slaves of Allah and loves them because they are slaves of his beloved. So you want what's best for every single person. You want what's best for them. You want every blessing to befall them uh, in this world. Why? Because they are slaves of Allah. And they are part of the Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ. They are people who, you want every blessing to then come upon that person. He loves that the effect of his beloved, meaning Allah Ta'ala's blessings on his slaves is manifest. And this is a, okay, so he loves that the effect of his beloved's blessings on his slaves is manifest. He wants that Allah Ta'ala continue to bless that person. Why? Because then you're continuing then, then I'm able to visualize the uh, the ni'am of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? I, want you, I want everyone in this gathering, just for, hypothetically speaking, I want everyone in this gathering to, 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 have no, to, never, to have a really good job and never struggle, right? Because I want Allah ta'ala's, that blessing to be manifested on every single person because to me, that's actually a reflection of Allah. It's not a reflection of anyone's hard work. I want, uh, I want everyone you know, here to have uh, a nice, comfortable home. Why? Not because it's any effort that you put in on your own. Not that it's a reflection necessarily of, of your righteousness or piety or efforts or sacrifices. No, it's actually just a reflection of Allah. And because I'm infatuated with Allah, I would love to see more of Allah Ta'ala's <coughs> blessings being showered upon His creation. Does that make sense? And then the last thing Mawazadi says, And this is a rare state that is not included under the rubric of moral responsibility. So you don't have to achieve this state. But this is for someone who desires, desires to excel in deen, desires to excel in their relationship with Allah, that they have to reach a state where they cut off their attachment to this world and they only begin to see Allah. And this is, it's, there's a, a few lessons we learn from this. That the people who love Allah Ta'ala, the people who are infatuated with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, they are truly infatuated with Allah and their concern is always about Allah. They aren't concerned with the with, with people per se so I'm going to try to explain this they are so infatuated with Allah Ta'ala that everything they see is a reflection of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala the way a person reaches this state it's I mean it's the way a person reaches this state is through the remembrance and dhikr of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala if a person engages in abundant dhikr of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala eventually they'll reach the state where they become so attached to or so infatuated with Allah that they are far more concerned with Allah than they are with people. Or let's put it this way. They are far more concerned with what Allah Ta'ala thinks, thinks of them than they are with what people think of them. I'll give you a, a couple of simple examples. Uh, you know, sometimes people, uh, they are concerned because when they lead 
Salah, for instance, somebody says that, you know what, you have a nice voice, or somebody says that, you know, you, mashallah, you recite Quran properly, why don't you become the Imam and lead the Salah? And the person in their mind thinks, you know, uh, afterward they feel very uncomfortable. They say, you know what, I don't think I did that for the right purpose. You know, people are praising me, people are saying all these good things about me. Um, that's a sign that a person has some attachment to dunya still. Not that... Not, so it's a good sign that they actually recognize this problem that people are praising them. Maybe that's not a good thing. But there's still more work to do. A person then has to elevate themselves to the next level. And that is that I really...